Hello guys, welcome to my first Yoga of Yoga podcast. My name is Nathan Gangadeen, and I am very excited to be starting this finally. My intention with this offering is to give you the springboard with which to join me on this journey, this journey which will be unfolding indefinitely. Uh, for as long as I'm here, I will probably have more to say on the yoga of yoga. I want to give you a little bit of history just to get you up to speed, who I am and how this, this name, Yoga of Yoga, came to be. And the uh, subtitle, which is Evolving Yoga. How it all came about. So I'm going to just go into the, the story of my yoga journey because obviously that goes hand in hand with what I think is way bigger than me and that which I am serving. So I want to be very clear from the get-go. The yoga of yoga is not a title or a name for my style or my offering. It's not a, it's not a grand attempt to one-up all yogas at all. It is based on the understanding, deep understanding, which I hope to impart to you by the end of this uh, this particular entry, uh, the understanding that yoga is so much grander than all of us and so much bigger than what we thought it was and what we've been taught it was. And, you know, it's not at, in any way to put down the incredible uh, breakthroughs, developments, um, and dissemination of this ancient art form uh, is into the Western culture and the Western world, I think, has really done a lot of good. And um, it's beautiful, you know. And if it weren't for that dissemination uh, from India and into the West, I wouldn't have gotten indoctrinated into the yoga teaching arts myself, probably. At least not in the way that, that I did. Um, so I, I want to really make it clear from the start that I truly honor yoga um, as, as it has developed thus far um, in the world, both in India and, you know, being India being the originating uh, nation and peoples that, that, that brought us yoga. But then also to all the, the nations, non-Indian nations that, that adopted it and, and developed it uh, into this extremely popular uh, exercise that it is today. And again, I mean, it, it's, it's great. <laughs> it's, it's good for us. It's uh, stress reducing. It's, you know, toning for the body. It's um, healing in, in ways. And all these things are wonderful. But something profound is missing. Something essential is missing in what's being taught and shared and delivered under the title of yoga. And yoga itself needs yoga. That's what the yoga of yoga 
calls out. Yoga, as we know it, needs to grow up, needs to get yogified, <laughs> if you will. Um, yoga itself has become unyogic, um, and I call it desourced, which means cut off uh, and unplugged from its true authentic source, which is source itself. Yoga is, uh, it could be seen as another name for God or the infinite or supreme intelligence um, or Zen or Christ or Buddha or nature. Hmm. So yoga is deep, yoga is powerful, yoga is sacred, and yoga as it really is, has been been eclipsed. Let's just call it what it is. It's being eclipsed by a, what is a download of yoga. You can think of it as a, a, a objectified version of yoga, a, me, a mechanized version of yoga in, in all of its varieties, in all of its uh, styles. Um, they all sh have something in common. So whether it's Bikram, Ashtanga, Hatha, Anasara, all these beautiful offerings, um, they all have something in common, which is that unless it is explicitly addressed, they all default to what? The very mechanisms that yoga originally is meant to liberate us from. So we become, and this happens, guys, with, with all religions and, and spiritual teachings and, and mysticism and all these wonderful things at their heart, at their source, at their origin. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And then what happens in that thing where it becomes dogmatic? It becomes mechanized. It becomes the, instead of, it's, instead of getting to the source of this beautiful, mystical, you know, essence of being human via this offering, the Tao, Taoism, uh, Buddhism, Christianity, you know, uh, all of the, I'm just naming a few of the obvious ones, but just worldwide, uh, indigenous wisdom, um, you know, plant medicines and, and all kinds of ways that, that are, are designed and meant to get us in touch with this sacred essence of the human being, um, gets eclipsed by its very attempt to turn it into a system. Turn it into a, 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 a teachable, information-based system. It just happens over and over. It's like, uh, it, it's, a, it's really a cookie-cutter thing in that sense. What's happened to yoga has happened to all the great wisdom teachings, okay? But yoga hits me very close to home. Um, not only because it's in my family, and I'm half Indian, okay? Meaning, my, from my father's side... Um, they came from India and the diaspora from India to Trinidad. And, uh, and there, my great-grandfather and middle namesake, <laughs> uh, Saith, Panalal Saith, he, he was, was known as, as an influential uh, spiritual leader and teacher in that, in that space. But it was through my, my grandfather, actually, my father's father, who brought my... Uh, dad's family from Trinidad to Jamaica and then to New York City back in the 50s. And my grandfather was one of the first people to begin to introduce yoga 
practice to the people of the West, people of America. And my grandfather was a mover and a shaker and a businessman, an entrepreneur, a pretty, pretty uh, stellar dude in that sense. And I didn't really get to know him that well in my life. But I do know that there is that, there is that um, through, through uh, both my grandfather and my grandmother's side, there is this, there is this uh, yogic um, lineage coming through. Okay, so that's, that's in the background. But you got to imagine me. Uh, you know, 15 years old, I think it was the first yoga class I took. Actually, the first time I ever heard of or tried yoga was uh, on a on a VHS tape with my next door neighbor. Um, I guess my mom got one or something like that. And I, we popped it in. I think we probably were bored out of our skulls within three minutes and just turned it off. But I remember it. <laughs> I remember trying. And then it wasn't some, you know, I don't know, eight years later or something like that, that um, a, a local yoga studio in town, the owner was friends with my parents and and that's how we got to to know them. And, and she offered for us to come uh, take yoga at her studio uh, there in the main line uh, outside of Philadelphia. And I was able to hang for the whole class <laughs> at age 15. Um, but I recall feeling like it was a challenge. It was a challenge for me to stay engaged. It was a challenge for me to like want to come back. I probably went three or four times uh, before I was like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> but yoga did not go away. Meanwhile, my sister was also friends with this this studio owner. Uh, my sister, Sony, uh, she went to uh, Costa Rica for a retreat just to just to check it out and discovered Ashtanga yoga. And that really was a key moment in my in my path because it was because of her that when I moved to Sedona back in 2001, I uh, I got into yoga very seriously because the idea was let's start a yoga studio and let's just go. And we named it after our grandmother, Devi. Um, Devi Yoga was was where it all started for me in that sense. In the meantime, I went down to Costa Rica for a little retreat to study with one of her teachers, Larry Schultz, who had its yoga, and uh, in San Francisco and a number of other places. But that was like really my first immersion into like a steady like we did yoga twice a day, every day for ten days or something like that. And and I just got saturated in it. And in that sense, it was a very key. You know, like wow, I I I like this. I'm good at this. I you know I really resonated with it. And then it was uh, only three months later, June of 2001, that I went to San Francisco. It's yoga for the one month long teacher training, and it was a great memory, a great time. Made good friends. Uh, my brother and I both went, um, and. At that time, my spirituality was kind of really blossoming in a lot of ways, uh, where in a way that it couldn't where I grew up outside of Philadelphia was a little bit more, you know, uh, things like yoga or anything like that was seen as new age or woo woo and not practical. None of my friends really related to it. It was just not really the place for that. But coming to Sedona, Arizona, which is like the other end of the spectrum of, of just so much of that was so refreshing for me and so exciting for me because I got to, um, uh, you know, be, be unashamed <laughs> to be honest, uh, about like my interest in spirituality and, you know, 
things like the the Mayan calendar and and you know channeling and crystals and tarot cards and astrology and and all this stuff like I was just getting all imbued with all that reading books like Conversations with God and the Carlos Castaneda books and you know um uh, power of now I remember reading uh, when I was in San Francisco at my training things like that you know getting really immersed into spirituality and then this yoga uh, training was just so uh, awesome for me because what it did was it gave me something practical that I could grasp to to develop what I would later discover was like deeply my purpose in this life which is to teach which is to help teach what is the essence of yoga, which is liberation as one way to think of it. Yoga is liberation. Liberation from what? Well, liberation to what we've all gotten used to. Normalized suffering of everyday human existence, which is based in the consciousness practices that we inherit as we come into our worlds and our families and our cultures and our communities and we grow up and we get the code and it's age old, just like yoga came along in the earliest you know, uh, records of yoga go back as far as three, four, five thousand years ago. I mean, we're talking about an old science, a deeply old science that was uh, uh, driven by this profound need for liberation from suffering, moksha, as they call it, moksha, liberation from normalized suffering of human existence. We make the mistake, uh, modern day people, to think that suffering as we know it is kind of, you know, uh, uh, what something that we uh, have today because of our technology and our fast-paced lives and, and we kind of conflate the, the suffering with the modern times. But the fact of the matter is the suffering we have now is a modernized version of an age-old condition. You know, we can make the mistake of saying, oh, Back when we were indigenous people and living with the earth, then we were woke, you know, and we're, no, not necessarily, guys. <clears throat> Humans have been slipping into a default suffering for a very long time. I'm getting ahead of myself because I, I'm, I'm like jazzed to get to the essence of this offering. <laughs> and so I'm going to have to pull myself back a few times just to get, give you a little bit more of the background. So there I, I got my, my certification. I came back to Sedona. Devi Yoga was up and running. And we hit the ground running. And the beautiful thing about it was that because it was our studio, really my sister's studio, and she was, she was letting us, you know, my brother and I discover ourselves as teachers in that space. Um, it was so beautiful for that reason because even though I was trained in Ashtanga, Vinyasa, Yoga, um, and, and loved that, that style, uh, which is, you know, kind of like a, often associated with the term power yoga, you know, it's, it's, uh, flow yoga, movement yoga, that style. Um, even Ashtanga means eight limbs, right? And so the asana and pranayama, which means, you know, posture and breath branches are just two of the eight branches. Just right there. You see that what we have made the main thing in yoga is still just by its own definition, Ashtanga you know, even though I was trained as an Ashtanga teacher, by its own definition, all the focus is on those two branches, you know? Yeah, you might get some some of the other branches involved in that, in that, but it really, let's be honest, when we say yoga, we think of postures, movement, and breath. Most people do. And most people don't even think of that in a spiritual sense. Think of it as just, oh yeah, that's healthy for your body and it's stress-reducing and, you know, the utilitarian mindset that we're all in, Okay. Let's just be honest <laughs> that yoga has, has been uh, 
brought into that mindset and utilized. Uh, and I would dare say even, you know, altered and downsized. That's when I say downloaded, downsized into to serve our ends that we are, are most important to us now, which is our fast-paced, you know, materialistic, <laughs> you know, uh, superficial desires and needs that the culture glorifies as normal. We don't we don't think of it as bad, and so it it doesn't phase us in the least to say, yeah, I'm doing yoga to get a yoga butt, <laughs> you know, or whatever, tone my body or get flexible. Or, you know what I mean? It's just all the very, very su- surface level. And while those things have their own value, they don't, they don't hold a candle to the, to the true value of yoga, the source of yoga, the liberation from suffering which means you get to be free from all those superficial desires. That's one of the best things about it. Coming back from San Francisco in July of 2001, Devi Yoga is open and we start teaching. I remember the feeling to this day. It was a really wonderful feeling. And I remember even in my training, I was chomping at the bit to share the insights that seemed to just come in so um. With such, with such a force that came with this feeling of I have to share this insight that I've gotten during, during this practice or during that pose when I realized, wow, I was doing this and I realized I was forcing and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really teach about how you don't want to force your body. Like it's really, really basic but, but potent realizations that I was having um, pretty fast. And they always came with the feeling of like I got to share this. I have to share what I'm seeing because I knew – even though I maybe didn't articulate it quite as well back then, I knew on some level that what I was experiencing before this insight was more stress and struggle, and what I was experiencing after this insight was more freedom and and joy and uh, less stress. <laughs> you know, so naturally I wanted to share that. I wanted I wanted to um, uh, impart that. And I just, in other words, I had a natural desire to teach yoga. And I felt very early on in the beginning, because it was our own studio, and my sister was awesome. She was just like, do your thing, <laughs> you know? So I did my thing. And I started with uh, the, the the default yoga, uh, Ashtanga yoga sequences that I, I kind of, you know, inherited through my training, um, which was great. It gave me a framework with which to just guide me. But it wasn't long before I started <laughs> breaking the rules, you know? I started to question the things that were like, oh yeah, you have to do it like this, or you have to do this pose like that, or you've got to do this many sun salutations, and you got to this, you got to, you know, gotta, 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 in order to do it right. I remember even at the time um, uh, that we had opened Devi Yoga, another studio, a Bikram studio, opened in town, and I went to a couple classes there, and I was, we were going back into Ustrasana, camel pose. Uh, where you're, you're standing on your knees and you bring your hands back to your to your ankles and you kind of or your heels rather and you go back and she said go back go down with your right hand first and then your left hand and I think I just went with my left and then my right because that's what my body was guiding me to do and she came up and said when I say put your right hand down first you put your right hand down first got it and I was like what just happened <laughs> like are you kidding me right now. She was a sweet lady, but she was doing what she was taught to do, which was to, you know, lay down the rules and this is how you do it and you had better do it the way you're taught, word for word. 
And now me already being a very rebellious person by nature, I was like, all right, I'm going down with the left hand for the for every time I do this pose from now on. <laughs> you know, I was like, uh-uh, you know, nah, I'm not coming back here. I'm not coming back to your class, you know. Um, but that's it, that was just kind of my nature, just being sort of again rebellious. But there's a deeper principle. It wasn't just being rebellious, like don't tell me what to do. You know, it was that my body was saying, I, I didn't go down to my, with my left hand first because I wanted to just prove a point. I just went down because that's what my body was telling me to do. And <clears throat> the principle in that is, is breaking away from the feeling of gratification that we do objectively get when we do something like you're supposed to do it. You know, hey, I'm doing it the right way. There's a feeling of comfort that people get from that. Um, tell me what to do. Tell me how to do it. And I'll do it. And I'll do it well. And I'll execute it with precision. And I'll get better and better and better at doing doing it right, in quotes. And that's a, that's a very common mindset. But we don't oftentimes think, well, what, what, what's this right? What, what do you mean doing it right? What is this right? Oh, oh, it's... it's uh, which hand you put down first or which leg you step up with first or or it's you know uh where each hand is on the on the body or in the air or what direction or which how your angle of your head is and all these things you have to do it right what's what what's that oh what 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 the my teacher before me told me was right and his teacher before him or her teacher before hers and on and on back to when to when the first person came across that posture how did they come across that posture who taught them could it have possibly been that this posture revealed itself in a, in a sacred moment of movement and exploration in a space of freedom? Not somebody breathing down their neck saying, you got to do it right. You know, we do this all the time. And this is just what I'm just talking about with just postures. You know, I'm just talking about like my first impressions with some of, some of my first impressions with, you know, the yoga world and, and, um, and the and the mindsets that people that teachers had and and yoga studios had and trainings had and all of that and just knowing in a deep way that something was wrong about it something was not right something was um, limited about it something was unyogic about it and I knew it I knew it in my heart I knew it in my in my in, inner yogic intelligence and honestly I think everybody does. But for me, that voice was particularly strong and intense and um, <laughs> unruly. Uh, so that's how it all started for me, where I, early on, and then I started to go to massage school a few months later in the September of 2001. You know, we were just a few days in when 9-11 when, uh, happened, and I was just a few days into my um, massage training. And um, I remember the the moment that massage and yoga linked up, I saw, uh, you know, because we're doing massage every day, you know, all day kind of thing. And, and I realized, oh my gosh, getting a massage feels a lot like yoga does sometimes. And it hit me. I'm like, oh my God, when you're getting a massage, you're not doing that massage. That's the, that's, the, that's why we love getting a massage, right? Cause we get to just relax and somebody does it for us. So we can just completely be in receiving mode, non-doing mode. So there's something that's very relaxed and luxurious about just being able to, ah, and let somebody open up your tissues. Sometimes it hurts even, but you're just like, oh, thank God, you know, because they're, you know, they're melting down a knot in your back or whatever it may be. 
We love it, right? It's I don't know many people who at the end of an hour-long massage are like, oh, thank God that's over. <laughs> but it happens in yoga class like all the time. And for me, for sure, like, oh my God, you know how much time, both taking the class and teaching the class in the earlier years, I would, I'm going to be honest with you, I actually didn't want to teach class a lot of times. And I, and I, and I would look at the clock cause I was like, Oh, how much time do we have left? And, you know, I'd find reasons and excuses to, you know, substitute my class out or whatever it might've been. But why, why when yoga is a massage, when yoga is basically like the perfect opportunity to feel the utmost pleasure and joy for that whole time, just giving all yourself this attention, why in the world would it be something you'd have to make yourself do, right? But I immediately sensed this disparity between the massage and a yoga practice, and yet the, the inextricable similarity of the two in terms of what? Touching the, touching the body with the mind. With the, the massage aspect is because you're in a massage, you're passive, you get to you get to receive it. It's like a, you know, it's an easy way to discover what it means to release your body via bringing, feeling, feeling this sensation of the tissues being pressed on. And then you're like, oh, and then you can breathe and relax and let it go. But when we're in the yoga environment, we're active, right? So what we're doing, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing this. Therefore, I'm active. Therefore, I can't relax. And besides, I'm too intent upon doing it right. And I've got to do it. You know, I've got to know the mechanics and I'm going to, I'm going to engage my mula banda and I'm going to, you know, rotate my arm and bend my knee just so, and, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give you the contrast here of like, the way that we do yoga, the way we enter, and this is not just for yoga, this could be for Tai Chi for all that, for all we care, or um, dancing or, you know, sports. It, it really is this ego-based doer. I am doing yoga. What does that mean? Well, that means I am listening to this teacher who is narrating what? the mechanics of what motions I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to follow. And she says, put your hand on your leg and lift your left arm in the sky and turn your chin to your shoulder, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And what, just look at the, look at the, the nature of it. And yeah, she might be telling you all these things, but it's all machinery. It's me mechanical. The whole technology of the transmission of the teaching is mechanical, which is what? Synthetic, which is what? You're treating your body like it's this conglomeration of parts, arms and legs and fingers and head, neck and back. Think how we think about the technology of our language, which is completely interwoven with the technology of our thinking and our thought. And does any movement in your life really happen without your thought involved? You know, even, even involuntary emotions, like, have you ever felt your heart start to race in a scary plate part in a movie? I mean, the mind-body connection is so clear when we just step back and look at it that, that you can't really draw a line. You can't draw a line between mind and body. Everything we do involves the consciousness of the mind. And in a way, before any movement happens with the body, the movement of the mind precedes it. 
That's why what happens? You're not going to do the pose before the teacher speaks it. She's not going to speak it before she thinks it, right? She thinks it, she speaks it, she transmits it. Most of the time that's replaying the tape like a pre-recorded, you know, instructions. She repeats that. You hear it. You take it in and interpret it. It says put left hand here, put right hand there, put foot, you know, put your, you know, body part here. Technology, that way of thinking, and it's all mechanical. It's all objectifying, okay? Because when we move our bodies as though they are objects, which is just what it is, when we're in that mechanical objectifying mindset, then and then we're calling it yoga, which is, you know, yoga is precisely about ending that. So now you're beginning to see what I see in terms of the, the gross contradiction everywhere we look with what is normal yoga. The normal yoga technology and method of first do this and then do that and put you this and put you there and blah, 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 and breathe in and breathe out and all that, that, that clunky, compartmentalized sequence of postures in their own little silo and you do this pose and, you, and then you can even talk flow. Here's the kicker. You can even talk flow mechanically. You can talk breath mechanically. Which is to say, it's all clunky. It's all, the word synthetic is important here because the word synthetic means we're putting it together. Yoga means union, or one of the definitions is union, or to yolk together, to bring together. And that could be taken the wrong way because we think, okay, we're going to do it. I'm going to just jump, jump over to some other popular terms in our, in our culture, holistic and integral, both you know, integral movements, and when we use the word like holistic, people get it all wrong. They go, mind, check, body, check, soul, check, right? Three separate things, and integral means I, I make sure I check each one off the list, right? Synthetic, unyogic mindset, trying to pull off yoga, integral, holistic, by what? By including all of the pieces in the same bag, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, when we think about the body, for example, we say we don't even blink when we go arm, right arm, left arm, torso, upper body, lower body, all these things. But we don't understand what we're implying when we label the body unconsciously or, just, or automatically. When I say arm, I don't even realize it, but I'm drawing an invisible line right between my arm and my torso, right at the shoulder there. It's not an exact location, but it's a, it's essentially functioning to make distinct. This is the arm and this is not the arm. There's a kind of invisible mental line that has an immediate physical implication in everything you do. And of course, that's for, for everything, not just in, in between the body parts, but from moment to moment is broken too. Everything's chopped. Inhale, chop. Exhale, chop. You see what I'm saying? So if we're not really aware of... Integral doesn't mean putting it all together, but keeping it in pieces. Keep using the, 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 the compartmentalized and compartmentalizing mindset and mind process, which is not yoga. It's not only not yoga, but what yoga is getting rid of, trying to cure us of. <laughs> it's not putting pieces in the same bag, in the same container. Yoga means discovering the unity that's already there. This changes everything because it's, we're not doing it. 
it's not that we are are yoga yogaing ourselves. Yoga is to stop chopping, stop compartmentalizing, which is an addiction. It's something we're 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 very very good at. You know, everything in its little container. It's with its own label, which is deadly. If you really denormalize it and look at it, oh my God, it's making my movements clunky. It's making my my experience clunky. It's making, you know, and, and it doesn't, you don't even have to do yoga in an unyogic way to experience that. Why? Because you're experiencing it all day long and even all night long, all the time. Our lives are constantly chop, 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 Okay. The normal everyday way of thinking, which we have inherited, has just like just like our computers have a have a uh, no matter how many different w- things can show up on our computer screen, what do they all have in common? The ones and zeros. Well, similarly, no matter how many different kinds of mindsets, you know, how many different cultures, how many different kinds of people, you know, let's just say eight billion different mindsets, <laughs> right? What do they all have in common? Whatever language you're speaking, whatever, if they're an atheist or a religious person or a spiritual person or whatever, they all share something in common. The same coding, C-O-D-I-N-G, in the, the background running, the chop, the chop, chop, right? The, the thing that objectifies. So I'm using the term objectifi- objectification is the same as chopping. Why? Because when you, when you think of something as a separate thing as a thing unto itself, whether it's your own body or it's a part of your body or it's another person or it's a rock or it's a beer or whatever it is, we do it automatically. Our mind is such that anything that we perceive, anything we think about, anything we touch is objectified by the nature of the deep underlying code of our consciousness and our way of thinking. So we are a, a professional objectifiers by a young age, and we just get better and better and better and better and better at it. And it seems to work. But if we, again, one of my favorite words right now is denormalize. Denormalize is a yoga word, a yoga of yoga word. We denormalize that which we have normalized, which is suffering, which is being dysfunctional, um, not in terms of culture's terms, dysfunctional and on nature's terms. Think of the disease, the depression, the violence, the oppression, the, the inequality, all of these things, all the things about our life, not just our own personal health and physical health, but the health of humanity as a whole. And then the planet, the effect we're having on our planet, it all traces back to what yoga is meant to cure us of, which is, again, this code that I'm, I'm bringing out. So what happens when we bring the, when when yoga is meant to cure us from this obsession with objectification and mechanization and then we take yoga and mechanize it and objectify it it's so ass backwards that it deserves to be really the whistle needs to be blown on it and it's not in judgment it's not it's not to say oh shame on you for not getting this this is hard to get this is hard to get. And, and, and if I'm doing my job right as a yoga teacher, even if you've, you've been a yoga teacher and you didn't see this already, it's not a condemnation on what you have 
done or how you've been teaching. It's an invitation to take your teaching now to a whole other level. You should be excited. You should be excited because now your teaching can really break free and begin. Because why? Because yoga, your yoga practice, whatever your style is, it doesn't mean you do away with it. It's you upgrade it. Why? Because you're putting yoga on yoga's terms first. You're, you're, you know, I call it the ultimate yoga inversion <laughs> means we invert our whole way of thinking about yoga from being oriented to me first, which is another way of saying um, my mechanical mindset. I'm going to coerce yoga to suit my normalized, mechanized way of being and thinking in the world. And, and so you, you're, you're basically, in that sense, uh, uh, you know, denaturing yoga. You're taking the yoga out of the yoga by, by bringing it down onto our terms. The inversion is where we go, you know what? What's yoga on yoga's terms? And this can be a scary moment, a thrilling moment, but it can also be daunting and overwhelming and even, you know, disturbing <laughs> if you're not prepared if you don't understand that what's on the other side of this awakening is freedom joy pleasure pleasure like we didn't know we could have in our yoga practice let alone our lives the yoga of yoga is not about doing away with anything we've done or are doing it's about liberating it it's about, so, so whatever, whatever your unique approach has been, that your style of choice or your, you've have, you have your own style, keep it, but upgrade it. Let it come into the yoga of yoga. The yoga of yoga doesn't belong to me. The yoga of yoga belongs, we belong to the yoga of yoga. If you're a yoga teacher or a yoga practitioner, we belong to yoga. We belong to oneness. Yoga is union. Union in an infinite sense. The union that is... That is the principle behind when we say, all you need is love. When we say, we are one. The principle behind that is yoga. Capital Y, yoga. The yoga of yoga. And so, my job here as a yoga of yoga teacher is to help you at once see the malpractice that is going on, but also to get to, to not to not go into despair about it or get upset about it, but to go, oh thank goodness, now we can start yoga. Now we can start to practice yoga. That's what that's my the, the depth and heart of my passion to teach you. Yoga teachers, yoga practitioners, and those of you who haven't, who haven't even done anything connected with the, the word yoga yet. And, and those of you who are completely new to it, you're in a good place to get this first because, because then you don't have to get, uh, you know, habituated into the mechanized, you know, servitude of, of downloaded yoga, of objectified yoga. Okay. Now, knowing that, is yoga an exercise? Is it a physical exercise that is good? It's good to just tone your body, and that's all you care about. And you just want to sweat, and you want to do 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 your yoga practice, and just go to the studio, 
get your exercise in and go home, fine. That's fine. You know, just know that that there's a there's a deeper yoga. There's a yoga that that can take you to to levels of bliss and awareness and freedom and and not not to mention profound intimacy with yourself, which is denied to us when we are objectifying ourselves and our yoga practice. Right? So this is this is about opening up the depths of our yogic intelligence that we didn't know we had, which turns into not just a more liberated yoga practice on the mat, a more blissful and delightful breath practice, but it becomes the, the flow that, that's, that touches every aspect of your life, your love relationships, your, your relationship with food and diet, and any form of exercise, your careers, your human relations in all ways, your parenting, your anything, you name it. There's no aspect of human experience that yoga does not touch. So that's what's so exciting about the yoga of yoga is it, it's addressing not this thing we do on a mat. Of course it's pertinent there. We can really go for it on the mat in regards to that mind-body relationship and, and blissfully opening up the body as opposed to stretching it, you know, and trying to get flexible and trying to get, you know, good at doing poses, you know, that whole thing. It becomes the yoga of yoga as it pertains to the mat physical practice becomes this much more sensual. When I say sensual, I mean just just rich, juicy, um, delicious self-massage and connection and relationship with yourself in a way that just, you know, all that time in mechanical yoga, you're pushing against your body to try to get into the pose you can get flexible. You know, that whole stress ball, You it becomes this delightful, stress-free practice of ease and depth and massage and oh, good, good stuff. You know, that's what we want as it pertains to the mat. But guys, this is yo the yoga of yoga. While a number of these uh, yoga of yoga episodes uh, will be regarding the physical practice, a lot of them will be focused on that because I have a lot to share on that front. It's also going to be about so many aspects of our lives. Because why? There is no moment where you are not interpreting your life. Every aspect of experience, that word experience, what do we care about as humans? Our lived experience. We want it to be good. <laughs> we want it to feel good. We want our experiences to be joyful and rich and enriching and and. We want to experience being alive and happy, free. Happiness is freedom from suffering. <laughs> happiness, yoga is, happy, is the science of happiness, which is the badassery of being able to opt out of normalized human consciousness, which generates suffering at every level of your life. And if we don't know that that's what yoga is essentially, then we don't, we're not doing yoga. We're not really doing yoga. We're doing a downsized or downloaded, objectified version of yoga because everything becomes that when we're not, when it's not plugged into the source. 
And the source is in that consciousness practice. You know, the mind, I've got a, another podcast that I've just uh, recently done called Take Back Your Mind as part of the Human Up podcast. And you should check that out. Um, the mind is central in all of our experience. Because why? Because the mind is always there interpreting everything, including our feelings. It's so fast, our mind, our perception, our understanding, and then therefore our, our lived experience, we don't know how many habits, how many knee-jerk reactions we have as perceivers that we don't have any agency over. So we're having our experiences are so much governed by automatic ways of thinking. Yoga is the, the cessation of the modifications of the mind. I'm quoting Patanjali's opening lines of the Yoga Sutras. The cessation, which means the end of the modifications of the mind, which is that code I'm talking about that's way in the background, chopping everything. And then the seer rests in her true nature. The seer, the beer, the, the, blist, the blissful version of yourself. You finally rest in your true nature. That's happiness. That's yoga. That's the science of yoga. Okay? So I would love to go on, and I will go on, I wanted to, to say more. I'll always have more to say. But uh, I really am trying to keep these at around 45 minutes because there's a lot to take in. And I don't want to give you too much to have to digest at once. But just know that, that I'll probably do like a continuation of this one in episode two. But for now, I'm just really stoked you stuck with me and listened. And I hope you're starting to get the feeling of excitement of what is awaiting us when we discover together the yoga of yoga, and when we evolve yoga together and take it to where it's always meant to go, honoring its origins, right? And, and, and not, not putting that down, honoring its journey, its path, its dissemination across the globe, and now evolving it to a more authentic expression than we've ever seen on planet Earth before. Yoga matures, just like the, as, as we mature, the yoga is maturing. And so it's a very, it's a very exciting time. Um, and, and I hope that you, you are with me in this. So I look forward to this continuing and ever-deepening liberation of the yoga of yoga journey with you. I'll see you next time.